Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. When you align the whole way through and you have a business or a product that your employees are very purpose-driven in building and using, you get this full alignment. It becomes this incredibly efficient slipstream. That's Graham Cook, a product-focused entrepreneur and advisor at Coveo, the enterprise search software company. He's also the recent author of Web3, The End of Business as Usual. In this episode, Graham charts the development of this new iteration of the internet, which he argues will have massive implications for all managers. Graham also unpacks the value of user-centric design when applied to organizations and teams rather than just products. Graham, thank you so much for joining this manageable conversation with me today. Thank you, Farley. Pleasure to be here today. I'd love it if you could characterize your style of leadership and what's influenced that along the way. Well, I think what's influenced along the way is a lot of trial and error and sort of learning on the job and learning through great managers and I've had in the past and then learning how important it is to have coaching along that journey. But I think the moment of greatest sort of learning and change in my career came when I was running my startup outside of Google, been at Google for five years. I was I started up this business in 2010 and as the CEO and manager and first time CEO, the company was around 20 people. I thought that my job as the CEO and manager was to have all the answers. I think it's probably one of the easiest pitfalls to fall into. And I learned along the way that that was A, completely unsustainable, and B, not very helpful, and C, you don't get the best out of your people. And I learned to start asking the questions and curating the problem solving amongst my management team and amongst the company. And that was the greatest point of learning and change for me and and how effective that is to do that as a manager. If I were working for you, Graham, what would I say? I think they would describe me as a visionary who sets that goal and then probably doesn't go into enough detail on exactly the path to getting there. I'm now thinking about some irony in that you've written what sounds like a very technical book And therefore, surely you have now grasped quite a lot of detail. And I'm curious how you reconcile these two seemingly contrasting points. It's an interesting point. I mean, I I spent the last year writing a book. It's called Web3, The End of Business as Usual. And it's a book designed for business leaders on understanding the next generation of the internet. And we're sitting on the precipice of such great change. It's almost as if we're back in an era of pre-internet to back in the 90s of pre-internet to internet emerging. That's how big the change is going to be in the next 10 years. What I've done is I've set a vision for what that change could mean for business and society, like I've done in my startups. But I've also provided a path from looking at the historical journey of the internet from 30 years ago to today. I think that quite in line with my leadership style, sort of set a vision and I'll draw some parallels to the past. And then I kind of expect the reader to put those things together for their own job and their own, what they're doing and try and understand how based on the past trajectory and based on what this future could be, how will you find your pathway 
from now to tomorrow. And one of the things that I learned, especially in my 12 years of running Qubit, I learned that there were some phenomenal frameworks for understanding the map generation. And I've put those frameworks across the book to help people understand, you know, here's a way of building a map based on past trajectory and a future vision. I think it is in line with my style, actually, funnily enough. I haven't thought about it like that. So thinking about managers trying to be the best leader they can be for their teams, what learnings can you draw out based on your work over the past year? The overall movement that I talk about in the book is, again, it's a very enjoyable history lesson about Web1. Web1 in the 90s, why did Google emerge? Why did Amazon emerge? What was Web1 about? It was this sort of information movement. It was information and communication. The winners were e-commerce and search. And then Web2 emerges out of the, the wreckage of Web1's demise. Web2 emerges. you know, And at the time Web2 was emerging, you had people saying that the web will be no bigger than a fax machine in terms of its impact on humanity. And in the Web2 moment, you've got the social aspect of the information side of the web. And it's the social idea that I can have my identity and I can have my friends here and I can have my friend network and I can connect to other networks. And that led to the social media aspect of the internet. And that was the really core part of early Web2. And then all the way through and you get to eventually this sharing economy that exists. And it, the sharing economy being sharing taxis, sharing houses, sharing delivery services, software as a service, sharing computer space, cloud is sharing computer space. And so I talk about all of that. And then I go into Web3, I go, okay, if it was the information e-commerce movement of Web1 and the social and sharing of Web2, what are the characteristics of Web3? And I talk about how it's the, the idea that at the very big picture, if you look at Web1 and 2, it's all been about disrupting demand, disrupting access. How do you get things? Web 2 just took that to the next level. Web 3 and 4 is going to disrupt how you create things. It's a supply-side disruption. And so we've had mm. this demand-side disruption for 30 years. Now we're going to have the supply-side disruption. And for managers, that's extremely complex because the very nature of how people come together to do things will fundamentally change. And so it's today, most people come together and work for a company and they create something together as part of a company and management structures are very effective and efficient ways of bringing everybody together to a common set of goals. But we're going to enter an era where people work in a much more decentralized, distributed manner. And it will be a sort of very revolutionary shift the way businesses operate today. It sounds like a very large version of what many managers experienced when the pandemic hit in 2020, because just being co-located doesn't substitute for all of these other things that the really skilled managers were doing. Is that a fair characterization of this seismic shift, Graham? Completely. I think there's two aspects to that. I think the first thing is when some major change happens it's like the tide going out and the tide is quickly going out. And all of a sudden, you're exposed in terms of whether you can manage this seismic shift. Can you actually live up to the true leadership qualities of having to understand what motivates people, understanding how to drive purpose, understanding effective communication, in all channels, understanding empathy, all the great leadership skills? Are you really delivering on those skills? Or 
Are you more of a drill sergeant that expects everybody in the office to follow your orders and you can manage them probably by fear and you physically mm. are imposing yourself on managing them and you go into this sort of uncontrolled environment that you can't do that anymore and that really exposed weak leaders. And we saw it at Qubit, we're about 130 people when COVID happened. I actually think as a whole, Qubit did better in this sort of adverse environment because we had invested a heck of a lot in purpose-led management and more effective communication, understanding people's decision-making. And it kind of all started to come out, all that training we'd done as an exec team. The manager I was maybe six or seven years ago the one where I thought I had to have all the answers, that style of management, a more of command and control manager, I wouldn't have handled COVID well if I hadn't had the coaching and the work ahead of that. And so, I mean, it's so yes. essential to be prepared. And I think to your point as well about COVID and what it meant for people in, the, in a rapid change in the work environment, I do think more change is coming, not necessarily the same sort of like lockdown, but more extreme changes are coming. I think it's going to be driving a need for managers to evolve much more rapidly. The old style tactics, and I almost liken this to the old style tactics are the industrial era method. It's the, this mm -hmm. would work for a factory making toothpaste as it would for an office environment. That doesn't work anymore. We're in the information age. We're in the very much of the earliest phases of a, of a huge journey in the information age, where getting the most out of creative thinkers isn't going to come from that command and control model. It just doesn't work. And COVID mm -hmm. was just an extreme way of demonstrating that. But it's just going to be more and more examples of where you need to change your leadership style. I was really curious about your own change. You were in this kind of behemoth called Google, and then started a micro organization, which sounds like it became less micro. And then where you are now, any learnings, positive and negative, as you sort of transition through each of those epochs? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think when you're at a Google, and I joined Google in 2005, just after the IPO, still friends and family thought it was strange to go to an internet company. So it was still yes. questioned on, oh, you're going to an internet company. Oh, really? Yeah, we still got that mm. as a reaction from people when I joined Google. And I was at Google for 2005, 2010, in a period of where it was hyper growth, going from 3,000 people in the company to 100,000 people over five years. So it's just hyper growth, like very few places go through such hyper growth. It's pretty much my first job, apart from trying to do a bunch of startups before at, while at university. And thinking I could replicate that success in a new company was just real hubris. And myself mm. and my co-founders, we went out and we were like, we're a bunch of you know early Google people creating this new company. Let's just apply all the Google culture and the Google mindset to this new company and we'll be extremely successful. It's an extremely humbling experience to realize, A, replicating Google's magic is pretty hard. And B, going in with that attitude was just was the wrong attitude. So it was a hard landing learning that. I mean, I think when I went mm. to do like the PR campaign for launching this new company, nobody cared. It was like, okay, all right, let's reset our expectations here. And then it was a healthy lesson in learning that we needed to build our own personality and we need to build our own culture and our own ways of working. 
And that was a lesson that took five or six years to even go all the way through. I mean, we were still applying Google engineering mindset and Google product design mindsets to our category. And in reality, Google has a very specific, quite inward-looking engineering method. And I needed to learn a user-centric design method. And I needed the whole company mm. to come along on that journey. And it was really hard. This was, A, we're not the smartest product developers in the world. We're not the guys who have to go to our customers with all the answers. We had to relearn our method to ask our customers what they're trying to do, what problems they're trying to solve, and then we'll go and build the solutions to those problems. That's user-centric design. I even tie that into my leadership skill. Like I, That was the transition point from the way we built products, the way we ran the company, the way I managed the company, to move to this flip the model to user-centric design. And so huge learning, painful learning, to mm. shift a Google mindset to our own. And it was very healthy. In fact, I even write about it in the book as well. So as I build my next product company, I'm thinking a lot about how to be user-centric design and from the very beginning, solve real frictions, be purpose-led, build the right skill sets into the management team right from day zero. How do you build that into day zero? Because Qubit was very much take the Google model and try and apply it here. This is more like, how do you build from day zero the right approaches? And I know I'll make mistakes again. But it's interesting to have a blank canvas and try and apply all these different things. And I do talk about one aspect in my book that in the Internet Web 1, it was a protocol era. It was all about building pipes and roads. And then you get applications on top of that. And then we switch to Web 2, and it's an application era. It's all about building the application on the existing protocols. And that's where you know Uber and Airbnb and Facebook, these are not complex technologies. They're just great applications with network effects built on top mm. of the existing pipes. And then Web3 is a protocol era again. So how do you build using these protocols where it's more protocol than application? Building a business now in the Web3 era, building a product business, the Web3 era, how do you become user-centric design in a protocol era is an interesting problem to be solving. And so that's mm. part of part of how we're designing the business now. It's fascinating. I love this idea about maybe managers and leaders thinking of themselves as serving users, serving the team, which is a proxy for your user base or the organization as a proxy for your user base. And I love that. So sort of shifting away from product centricity to user centricity. Completely. I looked at my cohort and I was like, why are they doing so well? And, and the funny thing is, when you get it right, when you, everything clicks together and you're operating user-centric product and market development, and then your organization is, in a sense, your management style is user-centric to the people working in your company, and the leader and the CEO is user-centric to their management. When you align the whole way through and you have a business or a product that your employees are very purpose-driven in building and using, you get this full alignment. It becomes this incredibly efficient slipstream. I saw companies that were doing that, and I asked the CEOs, I asked them how they got to their decisions, and it was always a user-centric, clear friction, clear communication across the company. And I just constantly strive for that slipstream. It's a magic when you can make it happen. Fantastic, Graham. And uh, I mean, that sounds like a very clear call to action for managers and leaders listening. Find that slipstream through becoming hyper user centric. Exactly. Graham, I'd like to thank you so much for this conversation. Likewise, Farley, great to be part of your podcast. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach, and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.